You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What is going on, everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, the host of Seeking Excellence Podcast. And I'm joined today uh, by my new friend, Father Shane Demon. Father Shane, how are you doing today? Good, Nathan. Thanks for the invitation. Good to be with you. Absolutely. Yeah, no, super excited to have you on. You know, we were just talking about how we met through Hallow originally, doing a meeting for for the high school that you were, you were chaplain for them. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. I'm still the chaplain of Bishop Heelan High School in Sioux City, Iowa. Yeah. And we're looking at how to find ways to get the app into the hands of all of our students. Still working on the funding for that, but we hope to keep progressing there. Love it. Love it. Yeah, no, yeah. it's awesome. And I think we made the connection. I think you were talking to the Swaffords about it, right? And that's yeah. how we figured out that we had the, those mutual friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I had forgotten that you were, uh, I'd been addicted and you had lived in Atchison for a while. Is that right? Yeah, very short while. So I was there okay. for eight months. So I only lived okay. there for eight months. I was a, an RD for a very short stint there. Sure. Um, yeah. in Newman hall. So yeah, it was a, it was a time, but Emily worked, my fiance worked for, worked for Sarah. Sure. That year. Yeah. Which is really fun. So you know, yeah. Sarah speaks very highly of, of Emily and, and you as well. Yeah. Uh, so anytime I'm with the software, your name usually comes up. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. yeah. We missed in a them. good way. Very good way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's great. That's great. Yeah. We missed them. We missed them a ton for sure. Excited to see them. We're getting married in, uh, I think it's like 51 days from today. Okay. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. Countdown has begun. It has. Yeah. I think once we hit sub hundred, it's crazy to me how fast these last 50 days have gone. So um, I know the next 50 are going to fly by as well, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Crazy stuff, but um, yeah, very exciting. So I'd listened to the podcast you did on your podcast, the outcast Catholic Mm -hmm. uh, podcast and uh, really enjoyed it and just kind of loved your, your kind of idea there and, and where you're going with it and what you do um, and the content you share on that. So really excited to get some of your thoughts and, and hear more about that today. But first, we'd just love to get a little introduction of you, your life, where you're from and all that. Sure. So yeah, I'm Father Shane Demon from the Diocese of Sioux City, Iowa, and I was ordained in 2008. Um, grew up right here in Sioux City. Um, didn't really have a strong uh, sense of a vocation in high school. I had uh, some priests encouraging me to uh, to think about seminary pretty earnestly uh, throughout my high school years, but I really wasn't interested in that. I, I really, in fact, couldn't think of anything worse that I wanted to do with my life. And being the mature teenager that I was, I just decided, well, I'm just going to avoid talking to these priests, and then it'll just magically go away, right? Yeah. And uh, 
and yeah, when you, when you have a conflict or there's something you're wrestling with, you just can't avoid it. You know, it sure. keeps eating at you. And when I got to the university of St. Thomas in the twin cities, uh, that invitation to priesthood started to kind of resurface in my own heart. And I met other seminarians on campus. I met some other men who were thinking about priesthood themselves and the idea kind of started to take root. And so I decided to enter college seminary uh, at SJV up in the Twin Cities. And I thought I was just going to you know, stay for a semester, hate it, then I can leave and tell God, well, I tried it and it didn't work right. out, sorry. <laughs> uh, but I ended effort, up staying yeah. two and a half years. Uh, and it was a wonderful experience. Uh, had great formators, uh, learned a lot from the other men that I, I was living with who were seriously trying to follow Jesus and serve the church one day. And um, after about two and a half years, I decided to leave the seminary. I was thinking more strongly about married life as a vocation. I was thinking of some other career opportunities and wanted to step away and kind of slow things down. And that was a, that was a kind of a painful leave of absence, but it was good for me just to pump the brakes, deepen my own prayer life, and think a little bit more about that. And uh, eventually, I decided to go back to seminary, give it one more shot. And as soon as I went back, everything really clicked, and, and I've been really happy ever since then. And so, as I said, I was ordained in 2008, served in a couple of different parishes, served in two different high schools, uh, and I'm currently the uh, chaplain of Bishop Helan High School in Sioux City and also the vocation director of our diocese. That's awesome. And how uh, long have you been a priest for now? Uh, so this summer will be 14 years. Wow. Yeah. It goes That's by amazing. fast. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Believe it. I believe it. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, great. I, I appreciate you sharing all that. And I think your story to becoming a priest is um, a beautiful one, especially there with the, with the break in the middle, you know, to mm -hmm. kind of take a second and, and pause and really think about that. Um, yeah. Cause I think so many people, they don't, they, I think not enough men, especially, but I think it's probably true for women too, or with religious life, not enough people really realize that like, it's not permanent to just go to seminary, you know, yeah. <laughs> you can go and absolutely. Kind of, yeah. Discern there. And it's obviously the best place to discern. Um, yeah, yeah, it kind of puts yourself in a professional environment to discern with the church and, and formators to help right. you. So you're not doing this all alone. Exactly. Yeah. And I think discernment is so daunting to so many people. Like so many people want to have that like burning bush moment, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like they sure. almost want it to be like a permanent thing. Like I go to seminary, sure. like I'm just done, you know? Right. Um, so it, it is in an interesting thing in today's society too. Cause then even if you think about like preparing for marriage, how many people now desire that right like almost want to be told what to do i think that's why a lot of people conform to the government in so many ways and so easily but at the same time like with things like marriage they get afraid of the commitment and then even once they're in the commitment still kind of view it as optional you know like right. at the, in the world at large which is a pretty crazy right. kind of oxymoron of so many things going on you know internally sure mm -hmm. that's great so tell me a little bit about the podcast how long have you been doing the outcast catholic podcast and what like inspired you to begin yeah, so probably back in like 2019, uh, a gentleman here in the Diocese of Sioux City had encouraged me to kind of start a podcast. I had I had been a guest on some other podcasts, and he's like, "Oh, you got to have your own." And I was like, "I don't have time for this. There's no way." <laughs> <laughs> and um, the idea kind of kept uh, resurfacing in my heart, and I started praying about it some more. And then actually, when we kind of all did the COVID lockdown in like March and April of 2020, mm -hmm. it actually gave me an opportunity to to step back from some of the business of my other ministries. And look at this and say, okay, how does actually one start a podcast? What would be helpful? And I'm sure there's 18 million other people who have all started podcasts during the COVID lockdown. Right. Um, but it really kind of just started to surface in my own prayer. And I approached one of our newly ordained priests, Father Travis Crotty, to kind of be a co-host. 
he and I kind of have a good banter with one another and it's, it's easy to chat and, and think through things together culturally. Um, but the idea of outcast Catholic really came about because we could sense here in a rural Midwest diocese that there were a lot of people feeling very outcast. And this is true anywhere. I mean, there's, you can go to any city, especially in the Western world, and, and people are feeling a bit outcast from the practice of traditional Christianity. For sure. But especially here in the Midwest, we were sensing that there are people who are just feeling maybe uh, really separated from the larger church. Maybe they're in a very small community and the life of their parish isn't as robust as they would like it. Maybe the, ge- the geographical distances of some larger Midwest dioceses made them feel yeah. like they're separated from their bishop or other programs going on in the diocese. Um, maybe just the the reality of trying to live the faith in their work environments or among young adults or whatever was making it really challenging. And they were just feeling very isolated and separated. So that's those are kind of the realities that we're trying to speak into uh, because those are some lived realities that we're dealing with here in the Midwest. Uh, but hopefully there's some some topics and some themes that surface that can be translated to people in urban areas or or other cultural backgrounds as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a huge need for that. Obviously, you know, I remember when I first learned the the title of your podcast, I, I was really drawn to that. It was really intrigued to, you know, learn what type of things you were talking about and all of that, because I think it's something that I talked about a lot and wrote about a lot in 2020 um, at two different points, really. So there was the like when, when George Floyd, when the protests and riots and all those things were happening, I wrote extensively about racism in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, well, not just in the church, racism and the church, I guess would be a better way to say it, not racism mm-hmm. in the church, but just talked about racism and try to take it from a Catholic perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also talked, I had one of my favorite blogs I've ever written. I, I think I, yeah, I did a podcast on it as well, but just like I have, you can't see right now we, we are, uh, you know, I'm wearing long sleeves, but I have a full sleeve tattoo on my left arm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like that on top of like being black in, in places like Atchison, Kansas, you know, where you might be the only person of your race, the only person with tattoos, you know what I mean? Like in the room, uh, those sure. coupled, you know, are, are interesting, but <clears throat> just like kind of talking about how many people and how many just like demographics within the church can really not feel welcome and mm-hmm. how much I think like, while I'm very anti BLM and a lot of things that happened in 2020 in response to George Floyd's death. I think it was a great time for us to stop and reflect and being like, how can we like, like being unified and being like communal and welcoming, like is, is a Christian virtue, you know, like those are good things. Um, right. Let's not, we get, I think sometimes, especially conservative Catholics get so uh, repulsed by how extreme those things get mm-hmm. into accepting sin and endorsing and even like praising sin um, that we want to like neglect them altogether. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on that or what you've seen in the church. Yeah, we have an enormous amount of work to do in the church and within culture at large to being, uh, well, just to being a people that is capable of being bridges, building bridges and to speaking into one another's realities and appreciating that and wanting to, uh, empathize with another person's perspective. Um, I, I just see huge, you know, generational gaps and divisions among the clergy. I see generational gaps and divisions just among the laity and religious, in which there's kind of this this assumption of, of suspicion of, of others, right? You know, right. you 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 think differently than me, or you have a different background. Um, you know, here in in rural Iowa, our roots are pr- traditionally Irish and German. 
Uh, and that doesn't necessarily make for uh, a real welcoming environment in small towns. <laughs> yeah. You know sure. what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and we call this out on the podcast. I mean, you you can go to so many you know so, so many small parish communities. And uh, you go to mass and everybody knows everybody except the one visitor who randomly showed up. And does anyone actually go out of their way to say, hey, nice to meet you. Welcome yeah. to our turf. I would like to learn more about your background. Right. Um, and, and I come from a diocese that is now 25% Hispanic. Uh, and we have mm-hmm. a long ways to go in making sure that first and second g- generational immigrants uh, really feel welcome. They have a voice. Uh, and that they're enriching our church, you know, w- with their own customs, with their own viewpoints. We got yeah. a long ways to go in that. Yeah, absolutely. What are your thoughts on that? I have, I feel like I have some interesting, like hot takes when it comes to like Hispanic ministries or like black ministries and things like that in the church. Like, what is your view on like, should they exist? How should they exist? And like, how, yeah. Like, do you have any thoughts on, like, let's say you're a parish priest and I, and I, or somebody else comes to you and says, you know, I think we should start like a Hispanic ministries and have like a Hispanic youth minister and, and those types of things. Well, um, I have several thoughts here in this diocese, at least in the 14 years that I've been a priest now, I have seen kind of a progression, especially among young people. We're now at a point where um, our pastors with Hispanics in their parish, uh, you know, know that they have to be speaking Spanish to uh, middle-aged or elderly, you know, Latinos and Latinas. Yeah. We're also at a point now where most of our priests are starting to preach bilingual homilies because they oh, know wow. that some of the youth are just zoning them out, <laughs> even though it's their cultural background to always come to mass and, and worship in their mother tongue of, of Spanish. Um, I think most of our youth now in this diocese are actually starting to respond a little bit better to preaching and catechesis in English. Um, and th- that just kind of happens with any generational group that starts to get established in the second or third generation of a family's roots in a, in a new place. But we have a lot of priests here who would argue we cannot create, you know, divided parishes. We cannot have, you know, parish one, parish A, and parish B. Right. Uh, and that there has to be a sense of unity, and there has to be a sense of cultural enrichment. Um, and that breaks down the tone of suspicion that, and and kind of um, xenophobia that can pop up between different uh, groups. Um, but I, th- I think we have to do a lot more to say these are not just subset parishes within our within our communities. We're just kind of renting the church building and having their own little, you know, sense of community and ecclesiastical life. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, there has to be there has to be a greater sense of unity there. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's so important, you know, and I think it is such a tricky thing. Um, I obviously love and support uh, priests, uh, white priests, what black priests who have learned Spanish and can speak to their parish. I think that's you know pretty much an obligation. I think if you're going to be sent to at least to make mm-hmm. like an honest effort. Um, to, sure. to try to learn to, to speak the language, whatever language it is, you know, it could be Vietnamese, it could be French. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it doesn't mean you have to like be saying the mass of that language all the time. But I think to get to the point where you can at least converse or yeah, show people that you're trying, I think is really important. But yeah. I think you're, yeah, I think you put it really well there to say, yeah, we don't want divided parishes. And I think that's, I worked with parishes. Uh, I used to go to Kansas City in Austin once a month. I was a parish consultant for Dynamic Catholic. And yeah, some of them in Texas, man, I mean, we're just like, <laughs> you know, like it was like they had no desire to um, merge together or they were just like two separate parishes. And to me, it was just really sad to see because mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know if it's just like the conservative in me as well that thinks like a certain sense of assimilation is good while still maintaining your 
uh, culture and heritage and all those things, you know, um, but like what unifies us. And I think that that is what often will end up getting lost um, when we separate into black Catholics and Hispanic Catholics and white Catholics, because we don't, we look more at what divides us than what unifies us. And if you think mm-hmm. about it, like if, if I'm, you know, to be like stereotypical here at, you know, at the risk of sounding ignorant or rude, <laughs> like if somebody's more into soccer and I'm more into American football, or I, I like rap music and you like classical rock, like what unifies us is that we're both trying to live chaste, that we both have mm-hmm. a, a love for the Eucharist, right? It's not like it's sports and things like that are great, but anybody who's had like a good spiritual friendship or has, you know, gone through suffering and difficulty in life and then had spiritual friends and non-spiritual friends, you know that like what unites you more than anything else is your relationship with God and your like love for Catholicism, mm-hmm. you know? And I think the more that we can emphasize that and emphasize the orthodoxy and tradition of the church and unify around that, and then have like our subset in different events and let the, you know, Hispanic people run the Our Lady of Guadalupe celebration and, you know, different, different cultural events or, or feast days that are more important to each culture throughout the year absolutely have specific things and share each other's cultures and share experiences like that. But um, when it has to like penetrate the mass is where I feel like I start to get pretty uh, not happy about it. Sure. Yeah. One thing that comes to mind is that um, there can be barriers, there can be differences, there can be cultural heritages that uh, divide us perhaps horizontally right now in this time and in this place but if we if we kind of look um, at the traditions that go back in terms of years from pre- uh, previous generations, you know, my diocese was founded in 1902, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, we you know we had we had German and some Irish settlers, you know, coming across Northwest Iowa, you know, in the the mid to late 1800s of the 19th century as frontiers, and yet what you know the faith was so rooted across Central America and Our Lady of Guadalupe was appearing centuries before this diocese ever existed. Yeah. So when we, when we talk about kind of wanting to unify the church, when we talk about differences in heritage, I don't think we're just talking about kind of parish festivals or patronal feast days. I think we need to step back and say, what are, what are kind of the larger, broader patterns that have been uniting Catholics for centuries, and whether that's European history, whether that's uh, Central American history, there are things that go back in our roots that are not just kind of local parish festivals, but should be uniting us for centuries and centuries as part of the lived tradition that our faith should be binding us in, obviously going all the way back to the Last Supper and, and the Eucharist, as you mentioned. Yeah. But I, I don't know that we're really trained in this cultural reality to kind of think in those broader terms those kind of those patterns of faith that are lived out and expressed centuries and centuries at a time. Yeah, no, for sure. I think it, it is so easy for all of us to get, uh, you know, wrapped into thinking like our cultural history or our country's history is like the history of the church. Right. Uh, I think it really feeds in the, it's, I think it's really a Protestant idea, you know, because I think that so many, uh, a lot of times when I talk about Catholics and Protestants, I, I'm a convert to the faith. And when I think about uh, Catholics and Protestants, I'm like, you know, Protestants are so interesting to me, especially those who are like patriots, because I'm like, it's the equivalent to me for a lot of them 
of people who know like revolution, revolutionary war and like early, you know, founding history of America and then jump up to like the Obama administration and like skip everything in between, which is some pretty, pretty important stuff of just Mm. like jumping ahead, you know, to like, oh, I go to Elevation Church, which was founded in 2006, you know, and it's like you don't care about any of the Christian history in between there. It's kind of a, Mm -hmm. a big gap. There's some important stuff. And I think we all can fall into that, though. Of thinking, sure. you know, like, uh, yeah, American history has to like over, like, supersede Catholicism or things like that. But another thing I think you said that I think is really convicting to many of us is meeting people mm. um, after mass and like going up and and even those of us who don't live in rural places, you know, just like making an effort. And it's a lot of what you talked about with the Swaffords too, of like making an effort for community. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'd love to hear. I mean, obviously the outcast Catholic like. What, what type of obligation, or maybe you could point to like some of the, the biblical obligations, you know, that we have to not just to be willing to, to be a part of a community, but sometimes like the Swaffords point out often to be the initiators and actually like be willing to go up to people despite whatever your personality might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously you mentioned biblical roots. Um, I mean, we could look to our Lord's own example, you know, of how he wants to insert himself into lives of so many uh, coming up to Matthew and saying, you know, we're friends, <laughs> you know, when he, when he, you know, when he encounters Zacchaeus and immediately wants to engage with him, right? Uh, our, our Lord wants to create moments of encounter. He wants to step into people's realities. He wants to kind of knock on their hearts and be invited in to dine with them. Um, uh, one of the things that comes to mind is uh, Bishop Vetter, up in Montana. He's a former priest of um, Bismarck, North Dakota. And when he was a pastor, I remember him saying that he got up at the pulpit one day and he said, I, as your pastor, am officially inviting myself over to each one of your homes for dinner. And you don't have to do anything fancy. I don't need lobster. You know, you can serve me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and that would be a-okay. But I want to insert myself into your lives. I want to know your family background, your story, That's perhaps awesome. how you as a married couple met. I want to see your lived realities. I want to appreciate your background, especially if you're throwing in a dollar, $5, $10 into the collection basket. I want to know your work history. You know, how are you, you how are you earning money that's mm-hmm. coming to help support the poor and the ministries of the parish? Uh, what family needs do you have that I can support? How can I accompany you on your own spiritual journey? It, it was a real beautiful witness to me when I heard him speak of this of how he's really taking that call to go out and insert himself into people, not in a pushy way, not in a way that kind of wants to break down uh, any sense of personal freedom, but just in a way to kind of build relationships. And we're not good at that, you know, mm-hmm. in the sense of wanting to treat the mass as something very devotional, very reverent, creating a sacred space in the church. We like to enter into Sunday mass and, and have our Eucharistic moment uh, where our, our own souls can be nurtured. But there's a whole community element to building up the body of Christ beyond that and to wanting to invest in others to build a sense of community so you don't feel like you're making this Christian journey all on your own. And right. that there's others out there who might be suffering and could, le- could need a, a supporting hand or a, a guiding voice. Uh, we really have to improve on that. And, and I just sense so many young people are yearning for a, a deeper sense of community beyond what social media can provide for them, beyond what their buddies at the gym or at the bar can provide for them. Uh, to to not just sit around and like talk philosophy all night, but to just you know share one another's lives, to know the ups and the downs, to be able to offer a, a shoulder to cry on or a 
a hand to lean on when necessary, to go through the thorns and the roses of life with, with one another. That authenticity is, is just really human. And we have to be responding to that more deeply as we seek to build up community in our parishes. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it is really uh, an incredible thing. And, I, you know, I think every time I think about this, I feel more convicted in ways that I could improve, you know, on, on developing community or in, in being more welcoming and things like that. And I, I want to transition from that to also talk about or kind of segue from that into like kind of discussing like uh, something me and Emily talk about a lot is like the Benedict option. Mm. Um, I don't know if you've ever read the book. I haven't read the book, but I've talked about it enough that I feel like with people who have, <laughs> you're an expert now, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, I have read some other Rod Dreyer books, but not that one. Sure. Um, and I think it's such an interesting thing, right? Because you have, I I've known many devout Catholics um, who are faithful Catholics who do have this great fear, right. Of, of not living the Benedict option of like interacting with the world and not mm-hmm. just being a youth minister forever and, and, and like working in like a, the public space or um, of becoming friends with people or having people over for dinner who are same sex attracted or who, you know, are, are ardent uh, social justice warriors or whatever it might be. Right. Um, and yeah, I just, I would love to just kind of get your thoughts on how do you kind of balance that? Like, cause you get into some pretty tricky situations, right. When you think about like, okay. Um, as, and maybe it changes, maybe, maybe you'll think you'll agree with this. Like maybe it evolves and changes over time, but like me as a single man or when I'm a single man, you know, being friends with someone who's same sex attracted might be one thing, but then it's like, all right, well, what if you're married and now I have three kids? Like, is it, what about having a same sex couple over for dinner? You know, like, mm-hmm. where do you kind of like, how do you feel like we can go and navigate that while still like respecting and appreciating that we're, we are transitioning from Christendom to an apostolic age, you know, mm-hmm. and like what Roger uh, advocates for, like the Benedict option also has a ton of value for, um, you know, protecting the flock that we do have now. Um, but we do still have the obligation to make disciples. Yeah. I've got several thoughts. Um, Archbishop Shapio, the former Archbishop of Philadelphia, Bishop Barron from Los Angeles, they both commented on this extensively, that we've never really been a people to be just kind of in our ghettos, you know, uh, we've never been a people to just kind of wall ourselves in, uh, except when deeply threatened, you know, there, there's a reason why monasteries back in the quote unquote dark ages had to build walls around themselves. Right. Yeah. I mean, if there, if there were physical threats to their lives and they were, these were walls for self-defense. Okay, fine. Um, but in general, we've always been a missionary people. Uh, I mean, it, it was impossible for the, the um, first apostles to just kind of stay in the upper room and just live together as monks for the rest of their mm-hmm. lives. I mean, they, they had received a commission from our Lord to go out and, and, pro- and pro- proclaim the gospel and they were very eager and excited to go share the good news of Jesus. So we've always been kind of a missionary people that have been outwardly focused. At the same time, you can't be outwardly focused and going out and evangelizing, going out and engaging if you don't feel like your batteries are well charged. You know, if you're not yeah. well formed, uh, if you're not rooted in a, in a sense of faith, if you're not rooted in the traditions of the church, um, and if you're going to get easily swayed by the fads or the... Um, just the, the cultural currents that might be sweeping you away, that's not going to work either. So, so I, I do think there has to be a, a prudent balance to say, uh, how formed am I? Am I well-rooted? Has someone really discipled me? Do I understand the faith well? And then from that position of security, 
uh, both personal identity, but then security with the Lord, I'm capable of going out and engaging others. I think that has to be, uh, that has to be there. I would also say there's a, I think there's a difference between um, engaging others, seeking to evangelize, or maybe just offering just a basic Christian charity towards others. Uh, but I think that's also separate from inviting scandal into one's life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if, you're, if you're engaging in things that are going to be really risky for you, and could potentially start to erode your Christian identity or your, or your Christian yeah. practices. Uh, that's very different than just wanting to engage, uh, to be charitable, to be civil. So I, I think there always has to be room for dialogue. I think there has to be room uh, for collaboration, but that should never come at the at the expense of wanting to sacrifice your own identity or your own security in your own practices in your faith or what you're willing to kind of bring into your home uh, that would never want to somehow confuse your family life or, or even provide something that would be toxic for your family's Christian lived experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's so big. And I'm interested to, to hear how, what do you think about how that all this plays into parish choice? Um, and, and so I'll explain what I mean by that. So obviously like we have the option to go to whatever parish we want to go to uh, as Catholics, as free Catholics. Um, and there's tons of options in certain places. You mentioned, you know, rural Iowa, Iowa has definitely mm-hmm. less mm-hmm. options than I have here in Denver, where I can go sure. to like you sure. know, eight parishes within two miles of my house, sure. um, which is a, which is a huge blessing, you know, for daily masses and, and other sacraments um, like confession. But I think you know, it's I've always kind of broken it down in that there's we all have I, I kind of view as you know we're we're the church militant, right? And I was in the army for for four years as an infantry officer, and so like learning about you have different soldiers, you have different MOSs and you put different resources to fight different battles, right? Mm-hmm. Like when, when my battalion deployed, like in Afghanistan, we had a company here, a company there, and we were all had different missions and we were doing different things. And I kind of view that as how we should strive to organize the church, which is obviously difficult to do, but each of us is kind of called to fight our own battle. So for me, like if, if there's a parish, when I lived in Cincinnati, this was especially true. The parish that was closest to me was horrible. Um, like, they had they had no daily masses. I, I think they did confessions like once a month. And like, I mean, I don't remember if it was Jesuit or Franciscan, but it was like everybody that that I, I knew like told me like never like never go there. <laughs> like it is just okay. <laughs> distracting. Like it's the, like the liturgical abuses are just really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to one that was like a, a sister parish of them one time because it was like on en route to an event I was going to. Uh, and was appalled. And so I never even went to the one that was closest to me. So I went to one that I drove past one or two parishes to get to. Um, and I think like the way I viewed it was like, I was a parish consultant for a dynamic Catholic. I was starting seeking excellence in the ministry here. Um, that like, I was out trying to do a lot of things to like help rebuild the church in, in certain ways so that I like needed in a sense to be more filled on Sundays, as opposed to like coming home from a week of travel you know, always out of routine, struggling to like develop my prayer life while on the road in Texas and Kansas City mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to evangelize in my personal life to come back to liturgical abuses every week is challenging, you know? Right. But I think there's people who aren't, who who do have, you know, if Emily and I now, especially once we're married to say, all right, well, she works at the archdiocese. I work for Hallow. We have a strong marriage. Like now we could maybe be in a place to go and, and build up a parish that's not as strong, you know, and be mm-hmm. a part of like reviving a community. What is, what are your thoughts on that, on, on parish boundaries and, and choice and things like that? Yeah. Um, 
I've done podcasts with Father Travis on this very topic, and we really struggle with this. Yeah, you know, hard. because people people ask us, you know, like I'm just not being fed. Mm-hmm. You know, my 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 local parish is dead. Maybe the the homilies are not inspiring. Maybe the music is awful. Uh, it doesn't give me a sense of reverence. I don't feel like I have a sense of community. No one ever talks to me when I go to this parish. Right. And then you and you go so far as to mention even churches with liturgical abuses. Um, so we have discussed this, and and in the course there's the tension. Well, like if everyone's fleeing. Uh, is there going to be anyone to stick around and pick up the pieces or revive right. it? You know, and there's a tension there. It's like the political debate of like New York and California. You know? Sure. Sure. <laughs> just playing the States. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not going to weigh in on those, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's another podcast. Absolutely. That's another podcast. Um, in general, the church is set up, especially as speaking here as a diocesan priest, the church is generally set up in, according to geography right? Dioceses have boundaries, parishes have boundaries. And the point of that is to not only kind of say, all right, well, who's overseeing this and who's kind of responsible that the the faith is is being expressed here. Uh, But it also kind of gives us all a a kind of a a communitarian stake here of of claiming we want the faith to be strong here in this town, in this neighborhood, in this community. We're putting a staking in the ground and we're saying that this Mm -hmm. territory is claimed for Jesus Christ. And we want that faith to be burning brightly. So in terms of thinking of territories, I think there is kind of a, an initial responsibility to say, I want to invest here. This is where I'm planted. This is where I have roots. And I want the faith to shine. However, that also has to be balanced with if you're just not being fed, right? And in your situation as a young man, when, when you're on the road a lot, trying to get your prayer life established, trying to get your sacramental life established, if you're just not being fed, and you know that you're kind of withering on the vine and you needed nourishment elsewhere, well, go ahead. I mean, if someone's sick, they need to go to the hospital, right? You know, right, if, yeah. if, if you're just not being fed um, and, and if you've sincerely prayed about it, and it's not just kind of like, you know, well, this isn't my flavor, you know, and I, I yeah, have different exactly. tastes. Yep. That's very different than, no, I'm actually being spiritually malnourished right now uh, it, and no one's accompanying me. And, and my, my prayer life might be, might be wavering and my, my connection to the Eucharist or the whole sacramental life is starting to flounder here. The, yeah, then you have to make a move. Uh, you, you know, go to the hospital when you're sick and, and go find the nourishment that you need. But then it's really beautiful for you to kind of say, perhaps as a married man, in, in the stability of, of, a, of a well-formed interior life, you and your future bride might be able to, to establish yourself and then start to rebuild something, whether it's in a parish or, or wherever. Uh, certain people have different preferences, whether that's extraordinary form or they like to go to this local Carmelite right. monastery and, and worship in, in that tradition or with that community. Um, but in general, especially when we're talking to young people, uh, when they're hungry, that has to be fed. And that puts a lot of responsibility on us, on the clergy, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and we need to take full responsibility of that. If we're not feeding the flock, and the flock is starting to go astray. Well, that's on us. And we have to own that. And we have to be willing to say, my flock is malnourished. How am I responding to that? Uh, and if we don't respond to that, then that parish is going to die. Uh, and we'll have to live with the consequences of that. And, and the people will be speaking because the flock will have been swept away by other currents. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I do, and I forgot to mention in that, is I am, though, regardless of what people do, and I, and 
I have a hunch that you would feel this way too, but you, I'll, I would love to hear your thoughts is I am very anti Roman Catholics. You know, I think whichever you decide to do, whether you decide to go to the parish that's closest to you or you, and I think there's times, right. Where you need to make the switch, but I still mm-hmm. think you need to like insert your roots at some point. And I think a lot of people are kind of like in this, like what we talked about earlier, kind of like indefinite discernment, right. Where they're like, mm-hmm. I don't know which parish to go to. So they just like never pick. And every Sunday they pick a mass time based on what's most convenient or whatever football time game they want to watch, or if they're going sure. out late the night before, you know, and all these other things, um, which I think leads to lower rates of tithing, lower community experiences. Um, and just, yeah, I think it's just not how we're meant to experience the church. Um, and, and so I want to just clarify that too, that I am very against uh, switching a parish every single week. There's obviously times, yeah, where you go to a different parish, you know, with, yeah. Yeah. If you're traveling or you've got some family yeah. commitments or whatever, you might need to pick different mass times, but no, I would agree with you. The faith can't be so personalized and privatized where you just shop around and you're just going to go look for whatever is convenient for you. Uh, th- I think that's actually kind of an immature faith that doesn't really speak to how you're investing and building up in the community. That doesn't really speak about how you want to be a part of the larger body of Christ and to say, my presence here speaks to all these other people that I'm here to support them too. And I'm here to walk with them in their struggles. And, and, and I'm allowing myself to be supported by them just by my presence here and an investment in relationships that, that definitely has to be part of parish life. Yeah, absolutely. And so with, with something you mentioned uh, a couple minutes ago, talking about, um, you know, parishes that are dying and like a priest need to like take responsibility and ultimate ownership on the vibrant, you know, vibrant or lack thereof, of uh, a vibrancy of parish life, um, whether it's growing or dying or whatever, you know, um, what do you think having been a parish priest before, like, what do you think is the general, and you know, a lot of priests, it's a general openness of priests to like hearing things that, that might be going wrong or like, who are the people at the parish for most people who don't know, um, like who can, who can kind of initiate that change if there is like something that's glaringly wrong, or even if let's say like, uh, if I'm a parishioner and I'm like, Hey, I think we should move the tabernacle from, you know, down the hall to the center of the church or mm-hmm. making kind of those suggestions. Like, how do you recommend people like go about that or who should be the person, man, woman, old, young parish staff or, or whoever that, that should do that? Yeah, well, I, I don't have a problem with anyone wanting to speak up. If they've got suggestions for the parish, I mean, one pastor, a few staff members, even the parish council, they can't think of everything and they don't notice everything. For sure. And especially as our numbers of clergy decline, you know, there's so many irons in the fire every day that a priest just might be missing a, a, a real blatant thing that's going on in the parish. Right. And so people need to speak up. And, and, and I, as a priest, would want to know, where is the flock seeing, you know, opportunities for growth? Where is the flock seeing deficiencies in this, in this parish community? So I, I think it's great for everyone to feel empowered to speak up. I can't guarantee that all my brothers are going to respond in a real open and mature way. <laughs> right. You know, and if they're dealing with their own insecurities, they might not handle uh, criticism really well. Unfortunately, I think that's, that speaks volumes about them. I'm a big fan of surveys. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm not a pastor right now in a parish. I've done this in recent months, just with my own campus ministry efforts. Uh, I surveyed over 500 high school students and just asked them, they they filled out an online survey. And I just said, you know, is, you know, father's homilies 
reaching you at all, or do they completely suck in here? You know, in your uh, estimation, <laughs> you know, are your are your theology classes in this high school actually bringing you to an, a living encounter with Jesus? Are you looking for more service opportunities? Are you looking for more com- more community events? Are, are you looking to study the faith more, perhaps in a Bible study? You know, we did a, a pretty broad survey, and I think parishes can do the same. You know, are you being fed? What is your impression of music? Uh, do you find this place to be hospitable? Does anyone welcome you? Does anyone know that you might be grieving the loss of a loved one in your family? And has anyone ever reached out to you on the parish level? Mm. Uh, do you have physical material needs that maybe you need some assistance with that the Christian community could support you in? I think some of these surveys uh, require the, the clergy to have to take a humility pill and to say, <laughs> maybe we're actually going to receive some pretty you know scorching feedback here. For about sure. how how the parish is really going, um, but I don't mind a little vinegar in the fire, and I think it would be good to have those honest, candid uh, comments so that the life of the parish can grow and the pruning can take place where necessary. Right, and yeah, and there's many places where it is, um, obviously, and I think that I also think you know to to be fair to the priests because obviously I've had priests in my life who have been very open to to feedback and priests who have not been very open to feedback. Um, but I also think, you know, sometimes uh, to, to criticize the lady too, we take way too much of a passive approach to creating vibrancy in the parish life or to creating mm-hmm. um, community and to evangelizing it and many other things, you know? So mm-hmm. um, how do you kind of view, yeah, I guess just the lady's role or what would be your words to you know, the lay, lay people who are listening because the majority, I mean, there's probably like two priests listen to this podcast sure. <laughs> and they're both the consistent guests on this podcast. Sure, sure. Um, but uh, yeah, just the words to the lady, especially the young lady of how to, or the importance of getting involved, um, mm-hmm. you know, and just to give like some of my personal experience, I remember like there was times where like in Georgia, like I would go when I lived in Columbus I would go and like volunteer at our parish to like just decorate or volunteer to like move tables and things. It'd be me and all the old guys or me and all mm-hmm. the old ladies, you know, sure. it was like no sure. young people. And I feel like we undervalue uh, one, how much they appreciated me being there uh, just as a young person, you know, mm-hmm. but also just like getting involved in those ways or like Emily uh, and I were reflecting recently on going to like cleaning our parish before Christmas. And we weren't even going to mm. be there for Christmas mass, but like, I mean, like literally on hands and knees, like cleaning the floor of the altar, you know, which was pretty, mm-hmm. um, yeah, or yeah, pretty awesome. And and thinking about that all the way to like being involved in youth ministry or now volunteering with Emily and like her and programs, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just like how much value there is in getting involved uh, in a number of different ways. Sure. Well, certainly we've lost a spirit of volunteerism and and a yeah. desire for service, you know, across this whole nation, and that has to be rekindled. I would tell our young people that they cannot under, underestimate just how important their presence is. Just mm-hmm. showing up at mass, showing up at parish events really tells the elderly, hey, there's new life here and there's someone to pass the torch to. Right. And they're going to keep running with the torch. That just It just it bolsters the spirits of everybody. I would also say that we can't... Um, we can't just limit the life of the parish just simply to the actual physical property of the parish. You know, just Absolutely. because something is going on in the church building or the parish hall or the parish offices, that's not the whole life of the parish. Yeah. Um, someone could be deeply involved in, in creating an enormous sense of community 
you know, as the Swaffords are with their, their first Saturday of the month club, you know, they're building community. They're praying with other families. They're accompanying one another in the ups and downs of life. And it has nothing to do with the parish boundaries, right? Yep. It's not requiring that you rent the parish hall. You don't need a parish staff member there. Father doesn't have to endorse it. Yeah. Um, so when, when people think about the life of the parish, you know, I, I hope they just don't think about, you know, like roast beef dinners or who's going to pass out donuts after the Sunday, 11 o'clock mass, you know, right. yeah. um, there is so much going on in the community, whether that's helping elderly people just with, you know, a few odds and ends at their homes, whether that's, you know, visiting the imprisoned, uh, whether that's just taking, you know, the youth group out for a hike, you know, whatever. I mean, we, we cannot limit ourselves to thinking that the life of this community is just bound to the parish calendar, what's happening in the church hall. Yeah, uh, th- that's way too narrow of a vision. And I think young people can think much more broadly than that. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, as you were talking about that, I'm, I'm, in, I'm interested now in like how much the kind of bureaucracy of the church and like the, the lay organizations and things that we have now have uh, alleviated for many people, I think, or, you know, falsely, this like obligation we have to volunteer, to give our money and to um, evangelize, you know? Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is like, we, and I'm not like anti the bureaucracy of the church. Like I love the way of organization. I love the way of the USCCB, you know, like I think it's great, but I think that there's not, I think like, if you think back in the day, I'm sure there was much more of an obligation of like, if we don't like give our money, like the, the church won't have lights, you know, like mm-hmm. it was very much more directly, closely into your parish. It wasn't like, Oh, the rich parish up the street, you know what I mean? Or over in you know, like Cherry Hills, we'll cover down for the one in Aurora, um, mm-hmm. which happens and is a good thing, you know, but I think there is kind of this, uh, you know, freedom then for certain people at parishes is like your priest is going to get paid regardless. Right. It's not like we're like fundraising and salary versus you see a lot of like, starting up uh, non-denominational churches that have that kind of pressure, right? Like if we're going to have mm-hmm. a building, if we're going to have a pastor, like we have to pay them, um, which obviously can get really negative and bad as well. Like that's mm-hmm. toxic side. Uh, but then even like organizations that think of like how many parents, because they send their kids to Catholic school, don't feel the need to evangelize or mm-hmm. uh, friends or, or, or parents who have kids in college that are like, I hope they get involved in focus, right? Like it's not like it's focus's job to like make them Catholic, you know? Um, and we even have religion teachers and theology teachers and other people at Catholic universities who like bring focus on and then feel like, great. Now I don't have to worry about that. You know, like mm-hmm. I don't have to do that now. Now they have their thing. What do you kind of think about? Like, do you think that that's impacted people um, and discouraged? Oh, them sure. I, I get a lot of people who say to me that they're really uh, disenchanted with the Catholic church because it's so structural. It's so hierarchical. Right. Uh, you know, the priests and the bishops, they, you know, they just have so much power, you know, authority. And I don't know, I look around and I just like, folks, <laughs> I don't think you realize how little authority and power we still hold in this culture. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if people don't like what a, a bishop or a priest is saying, they just leave. Uh, and they might check out first with any of their financial contributions and their volunteering of their service hours. Right. Uh, but then their physical presence just starts to slip away. Uh, and I think if you do a survey of most priests and bishops, they'll tell you that in their local environment, they feel like they have very little cultural power, Yeah, you know, uh, and, and I don't say that to minimize the role of a shepherd who is supposed to be guiding his flock. Uh, there's a reason why the church has been set up as a hierarchy and we've, we've got biblical roots for that. Um, 
but I, I do point out that because the laity really hold an enormous amount of power, certainly it's the vision of the Second Vatican Council for the laity to go out and evangelize the whole world. Um, but they hold an enormous amount of power just in terms of the vitality of their local faith community. Uh, are, are they reaching out to invite people to mass? Are they, are they talking to coworkers or to people at the gym or to people that they meet in bars and restaurants mm -hmm. about some of the deeper realities of their lives and how their hearts are perhaps being fulfilled or not fulfilled? Uh, and, and how can Jesus be brought into that? Uh, the, the numbers of priests and religious to go out and evangelize everybody is consistently diminishing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and it's really my job to help sanctify, to help teach and to preach and to help govern in terms of organization of the charisms of the church. But then that all has to go out and just set the world on fire. And, and the clergy just can't be present everywhere to do that and engage everybody. Uh, nor are we always the most well-equipped to do that. Right. You know, um, if, I, if I were to you know, dress like this and go into a bar, go into a restaurant, go into a gym and start talking to people, just my, my physical uniform of wearing clerics would be very intimidating to some people. Sure. Uh, and, and there wouldn't be an authentic relationship there that would open up the doors to deeper conversation. But when there's already friendships established among the laity and, and that there isn't kind of a, maybe a, a fear factor of, of speaking to the clergy and his father going to judge me, uh, there can be an openness to greater intimacy among the laity to have their own conversations and to go deeper towards prayer or towards a, a more fulfilling sense of faith. Uh, so the, the clergy aren't always the most equipped to, to prompt all these conversations and to enter into those real intimate moments with others as they accompany each other on the deeper questions of life and faith. Uh, so I, I just say all of that to really make sure that the lady feel empowered uh, to really go set the world on fire because they've got the tools and the gifts to do that if they themselves have invested in their own faith formation. Yeah. Yeah. I think and that's exactly it. That's all I was thinking the whole time you were saying that too, is like, that just, it really emphasizes and reiterates, you know, the importance of us forming ourselves that when we're in the bar or when we're at, you know, I think of mm -hmm. like, I have a couple guys I've become friends with playing basketball at the gym, um, mm -hmm. who I have a hunch based on like certain conversations, things are like falling away Catholics or like kind of, you know, not with super well-formed Catholic guys. And mm -hmm. it's like, am I going to be ready? You know what I mean? Like, should we hang out sometime or should we have deeper conversations shooting around, um, to explain you know, why Emily and I don't live together or why I go to daily mass sometimes instead of going to play basketball or why I work mm -hmm. for a Catholic organization or have a Catholic podcast or, you know what I mean? Some of these other mm -hmm. things. Um, and I think we really underappreciate that and under prepare ourselves for those moments. And then that's why it's so easy to be like, well, he should just go talk to a priest. Right. You know? Yeah. And those buddies that you're playing basketball with at the gym, they may never want to talk to me ever. Right. right. You know? yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> um, but you will have those windows and you need, you need to pray exactly. for those windows that the Holy spirit will open those doors. Uh, and you need to be well prepared to be able to address their questions or their hesitations or their doubts. Mm -hmm. um, but you gotta be willing to take a risk, right? Yep. Uh, you gotta be willing to take a risk and, and to speak up and to say, Hey, you know, or be interested in, in talking about this or, you know, Hey, I know I, I sense you're a little, you're a little stressed. Anything I can pray for in your life. Uh, and yeah. we got to get creative to find those windows, not necessarily right in the middle of the basketball game that you're playing at the gym, but when there's a creative moment uh, to kind of engage and to go a little deeper or to inquire or to invite uh, the lady are, are well poised well positioned to kind of seize those opportunities 
in ways that the clergy probably will never have. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, you know, this, this has me reflecting and makes me want to write about it to more better organize my thoughts. But I think even everything that you share with us today, there's almost like a, um, I think we could almost create like a, a checklist or like a, a game plan for people to be like, you know, like develop your own prayer life, get yourself rooted in a faith community, like find a strong parish or get involved in your parish, uh, volunteer mm-hmm. there in little ways, you know, to start cleaning the parish or, you know, setting up things um, and then developing your, your faith life even more. And then like starting to, you know, not be afraid of having conversations with your friends who, you know, are also practicing Catholics, then opening that up to people who, you know, are not practicing Catholics to say things like you just said of how can I pray for you or sharing mm-hmm. little bits of your faith and being a, a greater witness and then going out and obviously that just continues to evolve and blossom. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it should go, but um, yeah, I think it really does, you know, begin with uh, obviously, you know, starting with confession and getting your own prayer life and uh, just mm-hmm. starting with the like kind of personal basics. And that allows you to not be afraid of these people who are often seen as outcasts in the church. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yeah. I yeah. completely agree. Love it. Well, uh, as we wrap up, any last, any last thoughts you want to share, especially, I think you had some great messages for the, for the lady today, any last messages or or words you want to have for the young lady out there? Well, um, I I would just hope they feel really empowered to say, if you're feeling outcast in a church, uh, or if there's ways that, you know, especially tying into the themes of your podcast here, that you really want to strive for excellence in more ways Uh, please do not be afraid to speak up because you are not alone. Mm -hmm. There are lots of people who are are feeling in the same way. And so you are not abandoned and the church wants to accompany you, but we also have to get creative in taking some initiative to find these people and to, and to build up a deeper sense of community. So the faith keeps growing and no one, no one is feeling isolated. Hopefully we can continue to do that in the coming years. For sure. I love it. Thank you so much, Father. And I just want to encourage everybody as well. Just something I talk about often is extreme ownership and taking extreme ownership of your prayer life, of your faith life, your spiritual life, uh, but also your parish. Um, and obviously, you know, still respecting the hierarchy of the church and your priest as the pastor. And I'm not saying to undermine, uh, <laughs> you know, your parish staff or your pastor, but taking extreme ownership forces you to spend time praying about and thinking about how can I be creative? How can I add value to my parish? into the community and, and start to take initiative on some of these things um, and solving problems that are within my, uh, you know, sphere of control and sphere mm-hmm. of influence. So yeah, I want to encourage everybody today uh, to do that. And just thank you again, uh, Father, for joining me on today's podcast. Well, thank you, Nathan. It's great to be with you. Yeah. It's been awesome talking with you and just everybody out there. I want to highly encourage you to check out the Outcast Catholic podcast, uh, one, the episode we refer to many times today, the first Saturdays uh, with the Swaffers, but lots of great content on there. And um, yeah, just continuation of a lot of the thoughts that Father shared with us today. So uh, continue to fight hard, strive to be your best and God bless.